This is episode number 529 with Dave Nowinski, owner and host of Dave's Armory. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week, we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today, and now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today's guest is the mad robotics genius, Dave Nowinski. Dave has a YouTube channel called Dave's Armory with over 10,000 subscribers. On his channel, he publishes videos of his robot creations, many of which feature deep learning AI algorithms in them to make them effective. And he publishes videos of his robot creations in order to teach people what's possible with robotics today, including by providing the details of his hardware and software engineering approaches. Some of my favorite robots of his include one that exterminates weeds in his backyard using a flamethrower, one that brings cold beer from the fridge to wherever he is in his house, and one that keeps his kids out of his machine shop by finding them and hosing them with water. In addition to his enthralling Dave's Armory YouTube channel, Dave founded and owns a consulting business of the same name that allows him to apply his robotics expertise to automate and improve real-world industrial processes. In today's episode, Dave details the specific robotics hardware and open source software he incorporated into his wildest and most famous robots, where machine vision algorithms, particularly deep learning models, are critical for enabling robot functionality, his tips for folks who'd like to get started in AI robotics themselves, and what excites him most about the societal impact AI robotics will have in our lifetimes. This episode will appeal to anyone who's interested in discovering what's possible with AI robotics today via a fun, lighthearted conversation. We do mention specific technical approaches here and there, but typically only briefly during higher level descriptions of robotics capabilities. And we do our best to break those technical terms down whenever we do use them. All right, you ready for this? Let's do it. Dave. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's awesome to have you here. Where in the world are you calling in from? Uh, I'm in Canada, just outside of Waterloo, which is a small town just outside of Toronto. Well, as it happens, I know Waterloo very well because I went to high school and undergrad in Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, and I learned in, in talking to you just before we started filming you actually live in a very small town outside of Waterloo. So small, I counted the streets on Google Maps as we were talking. There were 12 of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all about a block or two long. Yeah, uh, very, very small. And, yeah. And yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't embarrassed after I saw how small it was that I hadn't heard of this town. But uh, yeah, love that area. People in Waterloo region are so nice. When I come home from New York... I'm I'm just I'm at ease around everyone. Everyone seems to be happy. Everyone wants to make your day easier. They're very nice. Dave, they're yeah. terrible drivers. <laughs> it's just the worst drivers. Oh man. Um yeah. But uh well, yeah, the niceness counts for a lot. I'll forgive them on the driving. Uh so uh I was introduced to you by a mutual friend of ours, Graham McCormick who is <laughs> uh, who is the corporate engagement officer at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University, my undergraduate alma mater. Um, and when he, so he introduced us over email, I went immediately to your YouTube channel, Dave's Armory, and I was blown away by your creativity, your execution. I instantly replied and was like, yes, We've got to get Dave on the Super Data Science Podcast right away. People are going to love to hear about what he's working on. So your YouTube channel has 10,000 subscribers, and they come to see your incredible videos with a huge amount of technical detail from a hardware aspects, from software aspects. 
on building AI-powered robots. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about a bunch of these in detail, but it's things like um, a Rubik's Cube solving robot, a, uh, a weed exterminating robot that uses a flamethrower to get rid of the weeds, um, a robot that brings you cold beer on demand, uh, and one that um, races against your daughter to build a robot unicorn out of Lego. I mean, there's just such a diversity of ideas. Can't wait to get inside of your brain. Um, but uh, so let's start with let's start with one of these robots that I was just watching the video about, and this is actually at time of recording your most popular video. Mm -hmm is a cornhole playing robot. So for our listeners outside of North America, cornhole is a game where you have these little like sandbags. I guess they're supposed to be full with corn. <laughs> and you throw them a short distance, like 10 or 15 feet into a little hole in a wood board. And uh, yeah, that's cornhole. So you have typically two to two. Beanbag toss, exactly. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to get a little beanbag into a hole at a not arduous distance. It's very popular at weddings. It's a popular mm -hmm. drinking game. Yeah, you do not have to be sober to play. <laughs> um, probably, yeah, almost nobody sober does play. Though I learned a lot about it in your video uh, about the cornhole playing robot, so that there's mm -hmm. a professional league. There's I wonder whole, if they drink. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole league for it. It's crazy. Um, the American Cornhole League, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I, I absolutely love this video and it, it's, it's a good example of the level of detail that you go into in all of your videos, I imagine. So you start off by explaining the cornhole game mm -hmm. and then you start off by getting a robot to cut you the boards that you need to play cornhole. And it's the same robot, Susan. Mm -hmm. That also later is your teammate in a cornhole game. Yeah. So I thought that was cool in and of itself. So you're so uh, I mean, so tell us about it. So you, so first you start off by uh, so you you program it to cut the holes into the wood boards. Mm -hmm. How do you? So, do so a lot of arms are used uh, in manufacturing. So cutting something like wood is pretty easily or pretty easy to do, or something like aluminum. Um, so I like to show the arms doing common things um, like common arm things for for the industrial audience but at the same time arms are super flexible so there is a ton of room for arms to grow into well robots in general to grow into a ton of different areas that they're not commonly used in uh, so once susan's done cutting the boards i clean them up and turn them into cornhole boards uh, but then using a Jetson, which is basically if a video card and a Raspberry Pi had a baby. So using the Jetson to be able to use OpenCV to be able to find the hole in the cornhole board, no matter where it is in front of it, and then always throw the beanbag perfectly every time to just drain shots. Awesome. Uh, so OpenCV, that is a software library. You can use it as, in Python. Yep. Um, to perform. So the CV in that stands for computer vision. So mm -hmm. it's an open computer vision library. And so you used it to, did you have to do any training with a neural network or it kind of just worked? So not yeah. for open CV. So open CV is visual processing. So you can pick out like specific colors or shapes or regions. You can uh, do processing on the video or on the cool. frames themselves as they're coming in from the video. So none of that was using AI. That's more, I don't want to say traditional kind of programming, but it's more scripting language, more uh, less AI and training. Cool, but it still takes advantage of, yeah, this computer vision library. That yeah, so it still, it still yeah. uses CUDA and GPU to do parallel processing really fast, which is why you need something like a Jetson or a video card to be able to do real-time work with it. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, so CUDA... Uh, for listeners who don't know it, a popular programming language for programming graphics processing units and graphics processing units or GPUs, mm -hmm. which were um, originally primarily used uh, to render graphics in computers. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you're if you're playing a 3D video game or you're editing video footage on your on your computer, you need graphics cards to do that work um, efficiently. 
Um, but that same kind of uh, computation, this uh, these simple linear algebra operations that happen to render those 3D graphics are the same kinds of mathematical operations that we need to train uh, neural networks, in including you know, neural networks that we use for machine vision, like convolutional neural networks. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so you can you can parallelize computation in real time, like you're saying, mm -hmm. on GPUs and like the Jetson that you just mentioned that I had never even heard of before. So it's kind of like a, a lightweight, low cost, relatively piece of hardware that you can just put right on the robot and in real time be doing computer vision. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, so then, so you basically, so you, you use OpenCV and the Jetson on Susan, this robot arm. Mm -hmm. And you then, you then modeled the physics of, okay, you detect where the hole is with OpenCV. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, that tells me how far away the hole is. And then you programmed in the physics, the kind of trajectory that the bag would need to take. Mm -hmm. And Susan just executes that for you. It seems, yeah. it seems really hard to me. Well, something it's, it's like grade 12 physics or probably grade 10, <laughs> where it's, it's, you know, acceleration and velocity and uh, all of those normal things where you get the trajectory of the bag and mm -hmm. it's, and the arm itself, because it's an arm can do really repeatable, really accurate motions over and over again. So as long as you can tell the arm exactly the motion that it needs the bag to do, or it needs the end of the arm to do, then you should just be draining shots as long as you need to figure, as long as you can figure out where it needs to go. Cool. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, our online membership platform for learning data science at any level. Yes, the platform is called Super Data Science. It's the namesake of this very podcast. In the platform, you'll discover all of our 50 plus courses, which together provide over 300 hours of content, with new courses being added on average once per month. All of that and more you get as part of your membership at Super Data Science. So don't hold off. Sign up today at www.superdatascience.com. Secure your membership and take your data science skills to the next level. Nice. So then once you had the robot ready to go, you hosted your own little tournament. Mm -hmm. And uh, it looks so Susan was your teammate in this cornhole game. Tell us about it. How did it go? Uh, well, we we won um, <laughs> in some of the testing. So you need to load the bag uh, into the into the end of Susan. Yeah, so when, once we had the robot all set up, uh, it was Susan and I against James and Ben. And so we were throwing back and forth and Susan drained every single shot. And then right near the end, uh, James on the other team, of course, I had him sticking the beanbags in the gripper on Susan, and he deliberately started putting them in the wrong way so that uh, Susan wasn't throwing them consistently anymore. So she started mm -hmm. to miss some shots by the end, but we still won. Oh, nice. And James himself is pretty well known on YouTube. So uh, yeah, so he's um, he's the hacksmith from Hacksmith Industries. Uh, he I ended up meeting him through uh, a whole other series of events, but he has a large facility kind of kind of where I live that has three phase 600 volt power, which you need for an arm of that size or bigger. And I don't have that at home because Canada. So um, <laughs> I was actually able to put Susan at his shop and be able to do a bunch of work there, which was great. Uh, so he, he does a lot of videos. Um, uh, making like props and, you know, real world examples of things that you see in movies, uh, like Marvel, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of tangential, but that also sounds like a pretty cool channel for mm -hmm. our listeners to check out. Um, all right. So we've got the cornhole playing robot. Clearly you nailed that one. Susan was able to crush your opponents with you. Um, another really cool video was your shop defense robot. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that one. Um, so I, I have two kids. Uh, they're two and four now. They I like to try to include them in either videos or just work that I'm doing uh, whenever I can just to try to teach them stuff. So I've made, uh, but I don't want them in the shop when I'm not there because, <laughs> you know, saws and hammers and all right. that stuff. So instead of just locking the door like a normal person, I got <laughs> an arm 
and a stereo camera uh, from Z2 from Stereo Labs and another Jetson to be able to find the kids in front of the robot uh, using AI and then take a hose and spray them like cats just to keep them away. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so in that kind of case for, for the machine vision mm-hmm. aspect in particular, how did, how did you program that with this one? So yeah. that's two different things kind of happening at once. The first one is using, um, uh, an AI that can detect people. So like a normal, something like a Coco data set you can use to, to train that. I didn't nice. actually train that AI that came yeah, yeah. with the Z SDK. So the camera, oh. the stereo camera comes with exa- some example AIs that you could use. So I use that instead of training my own. But then mm-hmm. once the video comes in and it finds the person, it then using the stereo camera can get a 3D map of the world in front of it, kind of like how your eyes do. So mm-hmm. it can take where it found the person, find where they are in that 3D map, and then it knows exactly where that person is in front of the robot, not just they're there or they're not. It knows, you know, they're a meter ahead and slightly to the side. Then wow. once their arm knows where they are, it can point at them with the the hose and go to town. Cool. Well, that's another really cool application. So we got your shop defense robot. Um, <laughs> uh, another one that I loved, and it, it really shows us kind of how your mind works, is you built a weed exterminating robot. Um, so step one, okay, we've got to have some kind of computer vision system mm-hmm. so that the robot can detect where weeds are on the grass. Mm-hmm. But then... <laughs> so that, that had an arm that has a stereo camera built into the end of it. Um, so wow. kind of like the Z, but it's all together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put that on a mobile robot, which is basically a tank, and then a big propane tank and a, uh, a flamethrower. So <laughs> for that, in each video, in each video, I try to kind of highlight uh, a specific piece of technology to try to cover it all in detail in a single video. No one would ever watch them. Um, right. But so in that one, I looked a lot more at how to actually train an AI, how to label, how to record oh. and label data and how to use that data to actually do the training. So in that one, I you know, recorded a quick video of my lawn. I um, segmented out the individual weeds, then trained a network wow. uh, on uh, Google Collaboratory, uh, which mm-hmm. is yep. it's a Jupyter notebook, but in Google, and they have access, free access to GPUs. So you can be doing a lot of this AI training without needing to maintain or buy any of your own hardware, which was awesome. Yeah, uh, so I, 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 I love Collab. On that. I, I use Collab for all of my online teaching because mm-hmm. it's so easy for me to just say, here's the URL, let's get going. You yeah. don't have to install anything. Well, exactly. So once it, so cool. I drive the robot around, it would point the camera at the ground. And if it saw a weed, if the AI detected a weed, then it would turn the flamethrower on and burn it right out of the yard. <laughs> it was very therapeutic for me. Um, a lot of the weeds actually came back through the dead spots. So there would just be a oh. dead spot in the lawn with a weed in the middle, um, which <laughs> felt pretty bad. But, but just watching just watching it happen felt good for that that brief moment. Well, that's funny. And uh, yeah, and then if, if the shop defense robot, uh, if if spraying water at your kids doesn't work well enough, you've always got the flamethrower. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, All right. So those are good ones. Another one I loved is the pumpkin carving robot. So at the time of filming, we've just finished Halloween. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this pumpkin carving robot, uh, yeah, I guess that could also kind of work as a shop defense robot. You put a serrated knife (laughs) on the end of the robot arm. Yeah, there's a couple different ways that you can obviously cut things. so in that video, I used a knife, uh, which is not a good way to uh, be cutting things with a robot, and uh, and a Dremel, uh, which you see so you could do like fine details with the Dremel, but it's not as you know stabby horror-y as as a robot with a blade. So what's what's a typical way that you would use? It would be some kind of saw, like a uh, like to cut a pumpkin. Well, I mean, yeah. So so if you're so for example, when you cut the cornhole boards, mm-hmm. what what do you use there in the robot arm? So like you said that the 
you said that a knife and the stabbing action is like not a great use of a robot arm. So what would you mm-hmm. typically use? Um, well, normally you'd use uh, some kind of a spindle, right? A, a router uh, or a spindle is basically like a like a drill. Sort of. It just uh, Got it. a bit, it just spins it. And then the robot moves it around and the, the spinning bit actually does the cutting. There are Got lots it, of cases it. though where you would use something like a knife. Um, ultrasonic cutting is a big one in like the plastics industry, like just trimming, uh, trimming thermoform plastics or uh, anything vacuum formed, uh, like car mats. So it's a little blade oh. that stabs in and out like 10,000 times a second. And you can just oh. rip around because the arm can position it at any angle. So you can get lots of fine details around objects. Wow, that's cool. All right. But that wasn't our scenario here. You've just got a pumpkin. No. Uh, a, a but you're like, so look. yeah, and a knife I found at Value Village that <laughs> I that I sharpened so much that it was it was too sharp. Nice. And for our listeners outside Canada, Value Village is a chain of thrift stores, mm. so you can bring anything to Value Village. Well, not anything, but you bring used clothing, actually, mm-hmm. used knives, yeah, uh, household stuff, and then other people can go and buy it, typically mm-hmm. uh, very cheaply. So yeah, so you got your your value village knife sharpen it up is value village like a canadian only thing i don't know i don't uh i i must admit since i've been in new york i haven't done much thrift shopping we do have goodwills i see goodwills around but i haven't seen a value village i think it might be canadian okay yeah good goodwill same thing yeah um so yeah all right so then so then you know what was tricky about that I guess, is that similar to the kind of scenario? Do you have to do any machine vision to like detect where the pumpkin is? Or do you kind of, yeah. So I didn't actually use any sort of AI or machine vision for that. That was more uh, offline programming. So programming it in your computer without the robot, uh, which makes the robot usually more accurate um, and more uh, more productive because you're not taking the machine down to program it. Cool. Or for that, actually, I did a bunch of manual programming with the the UR I was using, like the universal robot arm that I was using. You can grab it and move it around. So it has hand guiding built in. So instead of just using the controller, you could physically grab the robot and position it where you want it. So that's a, a good way for anyone who's getting into robotics um, or, you know, the newer users. It's a lot easier for you just to say, robot, go here. And you can grab the robot and move it. Cool. I am learning so much. I suspect our listeners are as well. Um, all right. So just a few more. I, 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 I could probably go through all of your videos and this would be super interesting, but we're just trying to pick some of the most different, most interesting videos. So another one was a Rubik's cube solving robot. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something there's been in the last couple of years, there have been big papers. Um, in the industry from like, you know, big research outfits. I think like OpenAI had a big paper about a Rubik's Cube solving robot. And so you did it too. Yeah, well, so the, the algorithm for solving it, I just used a, a Python library that already existed. I didn't write that myself. Um, but being able to use the arm to, with a, just a single arm and no gripper actually, to just be able to pick up and reorient the arm or reorient the cube and solve it by hand i raced it uh i won but oh man, uh, that nice was also <laughs> some really inefficient programming on my part so it's kind of cheating <laughs> that's good like i'm definitely gonna win this race so yeah. uh better put so yeah and that's so that's different from the situation where you're playing cornhole where you knew that susan was going to be on your own team yeah so i wanted her to do really well <laughs> exactly. whereas it was me against herman herman was the the ur that i was using for that um yeah, I, I didn't really worry about programming it super efficiently. It's more, yeah. So in, again, in each video, I try to show kind of different, yeah, 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 a different benefit to arms or a different way you can do it. And being able to have the arm literally pick up the cube, look at it, figure out a solution, and then do it. That's more beneficial, or that's more the benefit that I was trying to show that you could put functionally almost anything in front of the robot and it can figure out a new path a new solution to that problem versus something like hard automation which 
only does one thing. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah, and I feel like I'm starting to get familiar with your industry terminology. Uh, terms like you are, when you throw them out there, I know exactly what you mean. A universal robot arm. Cool, all right. So um, uh, another one, you, you got two robots, two different videos that could work with Lego. So one of them created Lego art. It created mm -hmm. a, uh, uh, not a painting, because it was Lego art, but <laughs> a uh, something that looks like a painting of yeah. Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, Lego released a, an art series where they've got they got ones of the Beatles. They've got I think a Marvel one. They've got some Star Wars ones. Those are there. It's really repetitive. So it's literally pick up a little pip and stick it on. I think a few thousand times, which oh, is wow. up, which is perfect for arms. Just doing a simple task over and over and over again. But to program that manually would be a nightmare. So. To be able to, I just programmed it with a simple Python script, uh, which is on GitHub, if anyone's curious. Oh, cool. Yeah, great. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Um, and uh, all right, so then you said that it was simple to have this highly repetitive task. And okay, that makes sense to me. So placing these mm -hmm. pips the right color in the right place. Um, but something that sounds more complicated then is doing something like building a robot unicorn, but you did have a robot arm do that and race against your daughter. So yes. how'd that go? Uh, Herman won. Uh, my oh. kid lost publicly on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real strength building kind of thing. It's a real character, <laughs> character moment for her. Um, that one was using a, a gripper and a force torque sensor. So actually being able to grab the piece, know when it grabbed the piece or if it missed, and then when it's putting in, push with a certain force in certain directions, because uh, just having the pieces snap together is surprisingly hard with Lego. It's easy to do if you're doing it by hand, but if you're trying to do it blind and stick pieces together, you need to be able to feel the feedback when the pieces right. actually engage with one another. Wow, yeah. So it sounds like that might have been the focus of that video, yeah. explaining that part. Yeah, mm -hmm. cool. All right, and then just one last robot to round things off. This is one really after my heart because I don't drink very much these days, but I love beer, Dave. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the only, you know, people often talk about wine in a lot of detail. People seem to know a lot about wine. I don't know anything about wine, mm -hmm. but I know a lot about beer. Um, and so you have a robot that can bring you cold beer on demand. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So that that's using a, a mobile robot uh, from ClearPath Robotics. So it can drive around on its own and it has a LiDAR on it, which is um, a laser that spins around and it can see the world around it. Using that, it can make a map of my house, drive around my house on its own. I wow. paired that with Google, uh, Google Assistant or Google Home. So I could say, you know, hey, Google, bring me a beer. It would wake up the robot, drive the robot to the fridge. <laughs> then the robot would use a, an arm with a gripper, open the fridge, pull out a beer, close the fridge, and drive it to wherever I told it to go in the house. Wow, that's cool. All right, so uh, there's, there's eight examples for you listeners of some of the incredibly diverse and creative uh, different kinds of robots that Dave has built. You can get all of those on the Dave's Armory YouTube channel. So Dave, how do you come up with these ideas? Uh, like, I, you, do you have a process or do you just, you're just like, I want to, I'm annoyed by the weeds on my lawn. I'm, I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to find a way to do it with a robot. Um, I don't really have a process for coming up with videos. Uh, I sort of just see something and think that, you know, an arm, an arm or something could do that uh, yeah, pretty right. well and then try to figure yeah. out what sort of technology I can highlight while doing it. Again, trying to sort of teach people. But at the same time, I do have a, a sort of just a, a grid for thinking of what videos I should actually do. Because uh, coming oh. up with ideas is not so much the problem. It's right. weeding out all the bad ones. Right. So trying to find videos that are relatable because... I don't, I want people to not be afraid of robots. I want them to understand that they have a place, they have 
benefits and challenges. They're not great for everything. They're good for some other stuff. Um, <laughs> don't be afraid of my stabbing, flamethrowing robots. Nothing yes, to be afraid. Don't. They are friendly. You want right. them to trust you. Um, <laughs> so I try to find videos that are somewhat relatable because I want people to be uh, engaged and interested uh, and comfortable uh, with robots. But I also want the video to have some sort of challenge to it and be uh, using a robot in a way that's not a common use, right? You can go on YouTube and you can see, you know, robots building cars or robots welding or robots assembling or any of those are very common. And there's lots of examples of that. But I want to show robots doing things in very uncommon spaces. For example, yeah, beer delivery or, you know, weed murdering. Nice. And, and, you know, it opens my mind up, you know, I kind of, and, and I'm, I'm later in the episode, I'm going to kind of ask you about what kind of education someone needs to be able to, to build some of these kinds of robots. And it's going to be interesting to learn about that. But, you know, I kind of, you, meeting you and seeing your YouTube channel, it makes me believe that, like, you know, I could be creative with robots. There's things I could do. Um, whereas... Whereas previously, like I kind of thought, as you say, when I see a welding robot or a car building robot, that seems like something, you know, unapproachable to me for some reason. But because these are tangible kind of everyday applications of kinds of robots that would be cool in my life, yeah, it, it is your, your, I think, I mean, your YouTube channel has certainly had that effect on me. So I'm sure it has on other people as well. So that's, I think you're, you're great to hear. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. All right, Dave. So dare I ask? What are some of the robots that we might see on your YouTube channel in the future? Um, so from a hardware standpoint, I'm still doing a bunch of work with KUKA. Uh, so I have another KUKA actually coming soon. I hope. What was the uh, what was KUKA used for? So what KUKA was Susan. So that was a oh, KR20, okay. uh, which had a big controller that I couldn't run at home. So I think the one that is coming next is either going to be a KR6 or a KR10. So like a 6 or 10 kilogram payload. It's more of a desk size robot that you can run right. on just normal 110. Um, so I'm actually working on it. And depending when this video or this podcast comes out, uh, I may have already released this video or I might not <laughs> if I didn't get to it. Um, I'm working on... Uh, a video about how to make an AI for a small arm uh, that will find my cat and then use a laser pointer to play <laughs> with my cat. Uh, so that's oh, like that's AI and a stereo camera and Ross and arms and inverse kinematics, kind of all that nice. stuff. But again, in, everyone plays with their cat, right? Yeah. So, so that's coming. I want to make an autonomous lawnmower. Um, here using not a lawnmower, of course. And because Canada, I also want to try to make a robotic snowblower to, right. so I can get out of my driveway. But right. we'll see if I get to that. Wow, those are a lot of cool ideas. Uh, they all sound like classic Dave's Armory. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. So Dave's Armory, the YouTube channel, is uh, not the only <laughs> application of Dave's Armory. You also... Mm -hmm have a consulting business um, of the same name. And so uh, tell us a bit about, about that, about like, you know, what you do with a consulting business, how you help people out. Uh, sure. So I, I, I started posting these videos on YouTube, you know, evenings and weekends, whenever I would get free time, um, as limited as that is. Mm -hmm. um, but a bunch of people have, have seen those videos and reached out to me through, you know, Instagram or or Twitter, or wherever, uh, or been local businesses in the area and said, Oh, well, I'm I've been thinking about how to improve uh, our manufacturing process, or I've been thinking about how would I make, you know, a robot that drives around and does x. Um, and so I end up doing a lot of consulting on the side for um, helping companies develop new technologies or develop new robots that fit with their you know, their current business or wherever their business is planning on going uh, or helping companies try to see where they could be using automation in their, you know, in their manufacturing, whether it's packaging or something like that, or uh, just explaining 
what I would consider to be very simple things about robots that I'm seeing is not a common, not commonly known. Uh, for example, yeah. integrators. Right? A robotic in, a robot integrator is a company that will look at your facility, look what you need to do, then pick which robots and hardware and safety and all of that you need. They put together a custom system for you and deliver it. And then that works in your facility. Mm. To me, I thought that was everyone knew about robot integrators. Apparently, that's not true. Apparently, surprisingly, <laughs> unless you've worked with a robot integrator, surprisingly few people right. know that these companies exist. Super cool. Um, all right. So are, are there any, like, is there a particular project or two that you'd be able to share that could be interesting for us? Uh, I'm working on a project right now to make uh, an autonomous lawnmower, a self-driving lawnmower. So in, in one of my uh, past lives, uh, I did uh, mobile robotics um, using ROS which is a framework for building robot software. It has tons of libraries, tons of tutorials. It's a, I would absolutely recommend it for anyone who's looking to get into oh, robotics cool. or at least poke around or try stuff. It's ROS, Robot Operating System, not oh, an cool. operating system. Um, <laughs> but so using, using some software kind of like that to be able to take an electric mower and have it drive itself around and mow a lawn for you. Mm, cool. Yeah, that sounds very much like, yeah, I mean, that sounds like it could be one of your YouTube videos. So mm -hmm. that's cool that exactly the kind of stuff that you share with the world to educate us um, and, and, you know, maybe spark our own creativity about what we could be doing with robots in the real world. You're also being able to uh, directly leverage that to be making a real impact in the industry. It's cool. Mm -hmm. All right, so Dave, we've talked about uh, some of the kinds of machine learning software libraries that you've used. You've talked about Python, you've talked about OpenCV, uh, you've talked about GitHub, um, you've talked about RobotOS. Are there any other particular tools, um, you know, I guess particularly maybe software or data science related tools uh, that might interest our listeners? Um, well, we, we talked about Collaboratory, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. um, there's a website called RoboFlow. Uh, that I actually found I don't know, a couple of months ago. I used it in the, the weed killer video. Um, that is actually a great website for doing, um, uh, like you feed it in images, you can mark them out where they are, you can set up your different classes, and it has built in augmentation too. So you can just say, generate, you know, four times as many versions of pictures and it will just take right. them increase and decrease the contrast and do all that stuff. Right, right, and you right. can do that a lot of different ways, but it's just super easy on that. Um, Jetson would probably be actually my biggest recommendation for something like this. Mm -hmm. You can get a Jetson Nano for like a hundred bucks, I think. And it's a, a full on little computer. It has IO, it has CUDA cores, it, you know, you can use it for machine learning, it's low power, it's cheap. Um, so that's a, an awesome way to start uh, with any sort of this stuff. Uh, I'd also said ROS, which is, again, there's a simulation. So anyone who wants to do robotics, but doesn't have a robot, which is, I would assume most people, <laughs> um, you can run simulations in it. So you can functionally have a robot without needing the hardware or really needing one. That's a great way to start. Awesome. So tell us a bit about how you got started in all this. So, you know, we know about kind of where you are now. You, mm -hmm. you have this flourishing YouTube channel. You have this consulting business. How did you end up here? In, so I went to university for engineering. Um, well, between semesters uh, in university, I worked at a robot integrator. So just doing wiring and mm -hmm. painting and, um, you know, not so much software, but a lot more of the kind of the hardware install stuff. I went from there to doing offline programming software for robots. So that's having a basic simulation in your computer. That's creating programs for the robot directly from the CAD model of whatever part you want to create. And then taking that simulation, that data, and having a real world robot run it. Uh, it's it's faster to program. It it makes your robot far more efficient. You can start running one-off parts on your robot instead of needing 
you know, 5,000, you know, parts before it's worthwhile. Um, that got me um, very close with a lot of the um, robot manufacturers around. So I would go on site because I had to troubleshoot uh, and work through a lot of the hardware, uh, understand a lot of the hardware and the software inside of the robot before mm-hmm. I could make any of that work. And that was kind of mm-hmm. the um, the bedrock for a lot of where I started from there. Then I went into mobile robotics, which, uh, which is ROS and AI. It's instead of making a program, then telling the robot to run it, it's a much tighter connection between the two where you're receiving sensor data live, you're processing it, you're coming up with solutions, answers, and then having the heart driving the hardware directly. So it's a, that's usually a closed loop live control of the robot. Um, and that got me into a lot of different AI stuff. Um, I mean, I did a bunch of wiring and software and that kind of stuff in school. So sort of a melding of all of those different things sort of got me here, which is also sort of a melding of a whole bunch of different things uh, <laughs> that turns into fire robots and kid defense. <laughs> cool. That was a really great summary. Following on from that, what would you recommend to somebody who wants to get started out building their own AI robots? I mean, you already talked about something. So you talked about Ross, you talked about RoboFlow, Jets and Nano, obviously those kinds of things. But I mean, in terms of an education, you know, you have an engineering background. Does somebody need an engineering background? Um, you know, you know what, I guess probably a lot of our listeners, uh, they already have some familiarity with, with programming. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you already have a little bit of programming experience, what should you do next? So in my videos, uh, I use um, different cameras, different, um, you know, different power supplies, different programming languages, different networking stuff, different arms, different AIs. There's a ton of different pieces that can all come together in a robot system. So to work you know, you don't have to know robot arms to have a significant input in like a shop defense robot. You wouldn't need to necessarily know arms to do a lot of that as long as you can do AI or you know cameras really well or you understand ROS. So, I mean, normally in most cases, as like an employee in the company, you wouldn't be doing all 10 pieces of this you'd be doing maybe the ai and the vision or maybe the arm control so i would say don't worry about trying to do all of it pick a piece that you really like if you really like ai that is a huge stepping stone to making a robot smarter or if you really like wiring Learn how to how to do wiring and some basic control stuff so you can make grippers or different attachments to arms or different control systems that communicate between devices. And you can, again, use that to make robots smarter or to make your own robots down the road with motors and controllers and, and wiring and encoders and stuff. I know that was a really long-winded answer of no. just kind of do what you like, and no, yeah, that's a it's a step in the right direction. Dave, it was a beautiful answer. I was actually like oh. in awe the entire time you're saying oh, I'd that. I'd like it to thank perfect. my mom, my dad, the academy. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right, so Dave, do you have some master plan? You know, with Dave's armory, you know, we've got snow blowing robots coming out maybe soon. I mean, what what's the like big vision, if, if any? I mean, my long-term goal with all of this, I think would be for it to become self-sustaining enough um, where I can wake up in the morning, go into my shop, dick around with robots all day, and then <laughs> go home. Just the the freedom to be able to any project I want to make, regardless of whether I think it's going to be, you know, good on YouTube or not, or regardless of whether I have a specific project, just that the freedom to be able to make whatever I want with whatever hardware I have 
I like that, that flexibility. Cool. That's an awesome dream. And I believe you can achieve it. You are. Yeah. (laughs) I need a whole army of beer retrieving robots. Mm -hmm. And step, step one, army of beer retrieving robots. Step two, question mark. Step three, enormous profits. Yeah. World domination. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Cool. Um, So, all right. So here's kind of a big one. Kind of a big question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask on the show, but I don't actually ask it all that often. It's kind of like something when I save for guests that I think are going to have a really interesting take on this. Um, So you are working in a field that changes rapidly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, probably every five years, it's kind of a completely different landscape in terms of what's available for hardware, what's available for software, what you can do, what applications are possible. Um, so, you know, there are these various trends, these exponential trends. Uh, each one is exponential and they kind of, they combine together uh, to, to mean that the, the pace of technology is moving extremely fast every year. So we've got data storage is extremely cheap and always getting cheaper. Compute is cheap. You know, you're talking about these Jetson Nanos with, GPUs on them for $100 that don't take very much power. I mean, amazing. Um, there's more and more sensors everywhere, and those are getting cheaper. You've, you've got these stereo sensors, you know, like um, we've got tons of inter- interconnectivity, internet bandwidth. Uh, people are sharing their, their innovations. You know, people are committing to GitHub repositories and uploading YouTube videos like you are about you know, how to be doing various aspects from a software aspect, uh, you know, training a neural network all the way through to the wiring, the robotics, uh, you know, we can learn about so much of this stuff online. So with all of these different exponential trends all happening, what excites you about m- what might happen in our lifetime with say AI robotics or, or in your kid's lifetime? Mm-hmm. I think the Oddly enough, the one thing I think I'm most excited about is self-driving cars. Hmm. I I mean, they are, they are robots in kind of the purest sense. I mean, they're, they're hidden inside a car, but they are still autonomous vehicles and I can't wait for traffic jams to be less and for me not to have drive to drive places. Um, uh, That ties back to the very beginning talking about Waterloo. And how people are bad drivers. Yeah, I am very <laughs> excited for to have that problem just sort of take care of itself. It's the thing um, we started at the very beginning of the episode. We need to get the drivers out of Waterloo. Yeah, it, it's, it's <laughs> funny. I, I used to travel a lot for a previous job and always coming back to KW. It's like just terrible drivers here, no matter where I went, yeah. always the worst here. KW uh, for our listeners is Kitchener Waterloo, which is yeah. two separate cities that uh, have both grown very large and now just overlap a lot. So yeah, they just uh, melded into one. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for something like self-driving cars, um, but I don't know where where any of this is going. Um, like you said, we keep getting more compute and more storage and more everything. But I mean, what's the next big thing? I have no idea. Yeah, and I hope to be part of it. Whatever it is. Robots. Wow. Yeah. I. You know. I think you are. Whatever it is, you are already part of it. Oh, All right. That's awesome, Dave. Um, do you have a book recommendation for us by chance? Um, the last books, the last series I read was uh, the Bobiverse. You read that? The Bobiverse. Bobiverse, yeah. It's, it's no. about a guy who, who dies and is reborn again in the body of a robot. Yeah. Uh, and so he has, like, it's his under, his consciousness, but with control of uh, of robotic hardware. And he, he becomes a spaceship. That's a, a, a very a, a very good book, a book series. I think there's three of them. Quite enjoyed it. Cool. Well, that is an awesome recommendation for... Uh, given the, the, the topic of this podcast. Nice mm-hmm. work. Sometimes people go completely, you, you never know what book people are going to talk about, but your book was very much on topic. So yeah. that's cool. Um, so in terms of following you, obviously the Dave's Armory YouTube channel yeah. is a go-to spot. I, I cannot implore the listener more. If you are vaguely interested in how 
robots work, how you can be putting machine learning algorithms into robots and be doing meaningful work with it. Dave's videos are amazing for explaining in a surprising amount of granular detail um, how you can be uh, doing it yourself. So uh, I highly recommend Dave's Armour YouTube channel. Um, how else should people follow you or get in touch? Um, either that or uh, Instagram. I have uh, an account on there. It's Dave's Armory with the U because Canada. <laughs> yeah, the U in uh, in Armory. Yep. Um, cool. All right. We'll be sure to include those in the show notes. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to be thank with us. I learned so much and I'm sure our listeners did too. Hopefully we'll have you on again soon sometime so you can tell us all about your new armies of robots that have developed in the meantime. Yeah, th thanks for having me. It was great to be here. I'll, I'll be back. What a fun and utterly mad scientist, or should I say engineer, Dave is. I love his creativity and I can't wait to see what robots he conjures up next. In today's episode, Dave greatly expanded my understanding of robotics. I hope he did for yours too. He detailed his mission to get people into robotics by publishing entertaining but nevertheless highly technically informative content on his Dave's Armor YouTube channel. He talked about hardware such as universal robot arms, ClearPath mobile robots, Z2 stereo cameras, and Jetson Nano GPUs. He also talked about software such as the OpenCV computer vision library, the ROS robot operating system, RoboFlow for operationalizing machine vision algorithms in robots, and Google Colab for training deep learning models freely and easily in the cloud. He also talked about robotic integrators that provide custom industrial robotics solutions, and that if you'd like to get into the AI robotics world yourself, you shouldn't try to become an expert in everything at once, but perhaps focus on the AI modeling aspect in particular, especially if that's already your strong suit. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, the URLs for Dave's YouTube channel and Instagram profile, as well as my own social media profiles at www.superdatascience.com 529. That's www.superdatascience.com 529. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app or on the Super Data Science YouTube channel. I also encourage you to let me know your thoughts on this episode directly by adding me on LinkedIn or Twitter and then tagging me in a post about it. Your feedback is invaluable for helping us shape future episodes of the show. All right, thanks to Ivana, Mario, Jaime, JP, and Kirill on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing another fun and informative episode for us today. Keep on rocking it out there, folks, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science podcast with you very soon.